have your Bibles with you, open to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'll be reading verses 10 through 17. Verse 18, I'm sorry. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatest and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in heavens and the earth. Yours is dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. It lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you, and tenants, as all of our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a chateau, and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand. And all is yours. Search since I know, O my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness. I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. Almighty God, continue to speak to us through your word. Speak to us and reach in and mold and shape our hearts this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I wanted to read the text first this morning to kind of let that get out and let you start thinking about what David was saying. I'll have to admit up front, this message will probably bring more questions than answers this morning as we look at God and country. The United States of America, for the bulk of recent history, has been a place that leads the world a force to be reckoned with. Now, according to the most influential countries, July the 15th of 2019, U.S. News and World Report stated that when it comes to military and economic dominance, the United States remains at the top of the list. Now, being number one is something that we Americans have grown accustomed to. We take great pride in it. 
But often that pride can be blinding to the church. Especially in privileged, wealthy regions of this country that do not often encounter injustice or struggle. This can cause us as believers to stumble by seeking the American dream over the kingdom of God. This text that we just read reminds us of the posture and perspective we should have as believers. Matthew 6.33 Seek. That verb in the Greek is continual action. So, seek continuously. It's always there. You're always seeking. It never stops. What are we seeking? It says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be added or provided to you. And all that we do, we are to seek His kingdom first. As a body of Christ, we are to seek building His kingdom first. The book of 1 Chronicles is a highlight reel of David's reign. It serves as a reminder of the covenant, the David covenant to God's people, that a future messianic king would come from David's line. This promise from God will serve as a great encouragement to the people who were rebuilding their lives after spending time in captivity. Now some of David's last official words are contained in 1 Chronicles and back in ancient Near Eastern thought, such statements were regarded as extremely important. David tells us about a major lesson that he has learned in his life in the text that we just read. Now the context of that prayer we need to look at. Because offerings were given to the temple by David and the people. Look back in verse 9 of the same chapter. Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. Remember that. It's not so much how, how much they gave, but how they gave it with a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. And in verse 10, we just read it, so David blessed or praised the Lord in sight of all the assembly. Such a presentation. David praised God and gave Him thanksgiving for it. Now if you go back to verses 3 and 4, you will see what David gave is over and beyond everything he's already given to the temple. So this is above and beyond. And back in verses 3 and 4, you will see he gave 3,000 talents of gold. Now, I might be wrong. I did my best to look this up, depending who you look at. That was approximately, in today's dollars, are you ready? About $6 billion today. He also gave 7,000 talents of silver, which in today's money would be about $85 million. Now remember, I'm not hard and fast in this. It depends who you look at. I'm not the best math. I'm not Beth. I can't even speak today. I'm not the best at math either. So go back and most of your study Bibles will have the conversion charts in there for you. But in verse six, we see that the rulers, the princes, the commanders, and overseers they gave 
5,000 talents, another 10 billion in today's dollars, and 10,000 derricks of gold, which would be about 6 million. And then in verse 8, to wrap it all up, whoever possessed precious stones gave them. That'd be good reason to praise and, and give thanks to God, don't you think? And in verses 11 and 12, he says, everything in the heavens and the earth, even riches and honor, David says to God, comes from you. Everything belongs to God. In the Hebrew text, Yahweh. That's the God of the covenant. The one true God who entered in the covenant with His people. The God who has expressed Himself and makes Himself known. Not just any God. This is the one true God. Everything belongs to Him. Even wealth and honor come from Him. He is ruler over all things. And in His hands, He says, are the strength and the power to exalt and give strength to all. Remember that. Everything belongs to God. And He comes to this question in verse 14 of His prayer. Look what He says. Who am I and who are My people that we should be able to offer as generously as this. He goes on to say, because all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. David and the people had given generously and abundantly, but they had only given what God had given them in the first place. They had nothing, absolutely nothing, that they possessed that did not come from or provided by the Lord Himself. And that is true for you and I today. Everything that we have, be it possessions, be it money, be it skill, be it wisdom, all comes from God's right hand. In fact, I'd like to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 8. Bear with me as I turn there. Starting in verse 11. Now this is Moses speaking to the people, Deuteronomy, meaning second giving of the law. He was reminding the people what God had done for them. And he starts in verse 11 by saying this, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have been good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold multiply, all that you have multiplies, then you, your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, with its fiery servants and scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought you water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this will. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as is this day. 
I just said a mouthful. You know what's wrong with us as Americans? We look, look what I've done. Look what I've built. Look what I've made my empire. And forget the most fundamental theological truth that everything that we have belongs to God. Who gave you that mind to get that job in the first place? It was God. Who allowed you to be born in a country with unpleasant freedom and liberty? Which, by the way, we'll have to answer for one day. It was God. You see how this clears everything up when we go back to that most fundamental truth. There's nothing I have that was not first given to me by God. He goes on to say in verse 15, we are sojourners or foreigners before you, tenants or temporary residents. People who are here on earth only for a moment. It reminds me of the book of James. James in chapter 4 is telling me, you're making all these wonderful plans. Tomorrow I'll do this. Next week I'll do this. Next year I'll go on vacation. He said, you're forgetting one thing. Only if the Lord wills it to be so. How arrogant of us to think that I might be around next week. I hope I am. But only if the Lord wills. James 4, verse 14, he goes, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Have we not learned anything from 2020? How quickly life can turn on a dime? You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I remember when my girls were really little. And you know, when they're little and they're babies, you got to do everything for them, right? You got to feed them, dress them. And, and I remember thinking, man, that'd be nice when they at least dress themselves. Well, then that became an issue because sometimes what they wanted to wear to my mind, I can't wear that. But now I look back. They're all grown and they're gone. And I think, where has the time gone? It has literally just gone. They're not little anymore. They're grown women. One of them is even a mama. That makes me scared right there in itself. But my point being how quickly time goes. He is recognizing that God's kingdom is different than any place here on earth. Now, it's not to ignore the special relationship that Israel had with God in the moment when this prayer was offered. However, we can take comfort today in knowing that God's kingdom is not limited to a single nation. It's not limited to a single geographical locale and not limited to a specific time in history. God transcends all that and so does His kingdom. This analogy of a life of a devout man living in a world estranged from God is mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Here's the point. We recognize that God owns everything, that we received everything from Him. And by the way, this is not my home. I'm just here for a little while, then I'm gone. Therefore, I need to seek the kingdom of God, which is the one true everlasting kingdom, and not get so wrapped up on things here on earth. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Peter writing to the church says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers 
to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. Don't get so caught up in it. I won't say this way. It's important for us to be in part, be, be, take part of elections. I mean, we live in a country, God's put us where we can have a voice. But with that, I have to caution you. If we're waiting for a man in the White House to make things right, we're putting our hope in the wrong thing. We need to be putting our hope and our trust and seek to build His kingdom. And in verse 17, it says, Since I know, oh my God, you try the heart and delight in uprightness, I, in the charity of my heart, made these offerings willingly. He gave it with honest intent. Once again, I mentioned how much those offerings would be today. But the point being, they gave with good intentions of the heart. He says, with integrity, God, I gave you this because it belongs to you anyway. One for you, I wouldn't have had this to give. We give to the church. Can I just say, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time or your talent or your skills. But He delights in using those things to further His cause and to bless you with that. But what He's really after is your heart. Because once He gets a hold of your heart, it changes everything. It changes your perspective, your thought process, your priorities. See, the old law could not do that. The old law kept telling us, you're brokenness, you're brokenness, you're brokenness, you're brokenness. Showed us the extent of our sin. Jesus came, took the punishment, was buried, rose three days after, victorious over the grave, over sin for us, and now, not only do we be saved and have mercy and forgiveness of God, we're given a new character, literally a new heart that we can embrace the things of God. That conviction you may be feeling when you read the Scripture or hear a preacher or whatever you're doing, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. That's God. Because He's giving you that new heart. And not only did David do that, but the people did that. And when he saw that, he praised God. And in verse 18, he asks this. He intercedes for the people by saying, preserve this, this, this intent of the heart, this willingness, this whole heart. Preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people. There's nothing else, there's nothing like watching the people of God give themselves freely and willingly, with no, like expecting anything in return. All the things God does with that. And as we turn our attention to David and his prayer, where he's praying for the people in the context of that, now you're asking yourself, well, how does this apply to being the day, being the 4th of July, and with our country? Well, as you look at this beautiful prayer, and we've talked about what he did we have to recognize that David lived in a time when God and nation were extrinsically combined. They were combined by a theocratical political system. In other words, church and state were like this. Completely combined and intertwined. That was that way for a long, long time. 
until about the Protestant Reformation, you saw a lot change. But even in that context, David still recognized the realities that earthly kingdoms are not the true kingdom of God. Now, it's easy for us to revise American history to almost a fairy tale proportion. Ignore the not so Christian events that happened in the course of the history of this country. Events that formed this country and brought such prosperity to some. I'm reminded of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Which lauds or praises, extols or people, the poor, the mourning, the, the meek, the merciful, the pure, the peacemaker, and the persecuted, those people will inherit the kingdom of God. But let's be honest, can we, this morning? That stands in stark contrast to what America has gone after in the past, or what we valued. Now, while the story of Scripture and the story of America are not always in conflict, they are not the same story. God's redemption of the world through His Son, Jesus Christ, forms us toward a different way of life than does the story of America. You know the American dream. Who dies with the moist toys wins, right? Is that what it is? Celebrations in our Christian community should lead our citizenship in the kingdom of God in forming, influencing, and shaping our earthly citizenship rather than the other way around. To be a good citizen of this country, I must be first be a Christian and believer in Christ is my point. That informs how I live my life here on earth. I'm going to say this right now in case you're wondering. I love my country. I served my country. And I will defend her still today. But my first allegiance is always to and has to be to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Now, with that said, our history as Americans include commendable acts of bravery and sacrifice. Actions that were taken in the name of freedom. It's good to remember and honor and respect the people and the effort that has been made to ensure the freedoms that we're enjoying today. Do you realize you sitting in the pew, listening to me in this building, gathered together, no police, no persecution, is unprecedented. There's places in the world you cannot do this. Taken off to jail. Beheaded. Killed. Burned alive. Our fellow brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing persecution. There's been more persecution in the past 20th century than there was in the entire first century combined. That effort to ensure our freedom. But the first thing we need to do is give thanks to God. Put it this way. I cannot think of a better place to be than with God's people giving thanks to God for this country, for the people who protected this country so it had the freedom to proclaim the Gospel and build His kingdom. We have an opportunity in this country. We live in such a prosperous... We throw more food away in a day than some people eat an entire year. We have been so blessed by God that now we cuss and curse against the very one who's provided that freedom in the first place. We have to be careful 
that we don't over-spiritualize our nation's role in what God is accomplishing in the world. Russell Moore speaks to the challenge when discussing Center Chronicles 7.14. When we apply the text like this nation, apart from the story of Scripture, we do precisely what the prosperity gospel preachers do. The message is that those who obey God's world will abound with money and wealth, excuse me, money and health, while those who disobey will face poverty and illness. They misuse the word of God through by extracting the promises of God from Jesus Christ. And a prosperity gospel applied to the nation is no more biblical than a prosperity gospel applied to the person. In other words, look at the context in which that promise was made. 7 Chronicles 7.14 starts out by saying, If what? If my people who are called by my name. Does that include everybody in this entire country? The whole American population? Those only believers are God's people. But then you have to ask yourself another question. Is that a promise that was made back to Israel in that time only? Or can we apply it to the true Israel as believers today? That's my point. We have to be careful when we start grabbing promises and applying them blanketly to our country. It doesn't work like that. The other thing we need to remind ourselves is that the kingdom of God is perfect in every way. Let me repeat that. The kingdom of God is perfect in every way. Now, we can all say today that America is not perfect in every way. No, it will be. Know why I can say that? Because the presence of sin. You have to remember, in the kingdom of God, sin is totally eradicated. Gone. No more. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to be in a place where there's absolutely no sin? Think about it. We like to think of the, we call them big sins like murder or, or someone robbing somebody or sin. We th- no. It's no sin. That means no more gossiping. No more backbiting. No more jealousy. What's that going to look like? See, our relationship with God, we have a relationship with God now, but it's veiled. It's now, but that we have this now and not yet because it hasn't been fully consummated. He comes back and gets us. But we're in heaven. We'll have that relationship. We'll see our Creator. And our relationship to each other would be restored. For lack of a better word, it would be perfect. There are sometimes I wake up and apparently I did something my wife didn't like because she's mad at me already and I just got out of bed. I love my wife dearly. Don't misunderstand me. That's the most precious relationship I have on earth is with her. The most intimate, closest to perfect it can be. Yeah, we argue, you know. Yes, I know I'm a pastor, but guess what? I lose my temper too, just like everybody else. I'm just like you. I just have more accountability because of the position God put me in. But even that relationship I have with my wife is tainted by sin to some degree or another. But in heaven, that's going to be completely, utterly gone. Completely gone. Now, while we're here, we can acknowledge the good in the culture while simultaneously confronting its evils. We live in that ever-present tension of the now and not yet. God's kingdom has come. It's represented by believers in Christ, like many of you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You represent the kingdom of God. So it's come, but it's not fully yet until He comes back. 
and is consummated, we all go back to be with Him. We are called to be in the world, but not of it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Jesus speaking, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are to show them the way. We reflect that light from God onto them. The church is supposed to be leading the way, not the federal government or the President of the United States. We are. In my opinion, I've said it once and I'll say it again, we're supposed to be doing the welfare system not the government. True and undefiled religious is this, the book of James tells us, to take care of our widows and orphans. It's both Christian and America to pursue, you've heard this in our Pledge of Allegiance, liberty and justice for all. This does mean, and this can be painful, very painful at times, to facing and confessing and repenting for the ways that we have messed up. Learn from the past. Because there's, there's still work to be done as we pursue God's kingdom. Yes, we need to look at our country and address what's wrong with it. Equal to or even more important than that, God has placed us in a in a country where we're free to express, free to gather. We have communication now, literally to reach everybody, the internet, email. We have live streaming now, internet. We have all these tools we can use to communicate the gospel. So my question would be, yes, let's address what's wrong and do what we can but let's use our freedom and the liberty that we have unprecedented in the history of this world to build the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel with every person that we can. It's been said that the term patriotism can be defined as love, as the love for the specific idea that binds us together across profound differences. America is a melting pot. People from all different countries and cultures as we live out our faith in a diverse country, we be rise to live accordingly to the first and foremost commandment. You know it. You find it in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and following. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, Jesus says. The second is like it. You know it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Who's your neighbor? Read the parable of the Good Samaritan answers that question. Even people you disagree with, you don't like, they are your neighbor. And just because you may disagree with me, or I may disagree with you, does not mean by default that I hate you or want something to happen to you. That is one of the biggest lies the media of this country has pushed. We can disagree. But I'm still commanded to love you as Christ loves you. Period. 
And we come to this issue of God and country, I think we can get everything in the proper focus and alignment when we seek the kingdom of God first. Because that helps get everything else in the right priority. I want to end by not singing a song, but reading its lyrics. It's a song that came out some years ago by a woman named Twyla Paris. She is a pastor's daughter. And the title of the song is, What Did He Die For? I thought about this a lot. Think about application as I prepare for this message this morning. Just bear with me. He was 21 in 1944. He was hope. And he was courage on a lonely shore. Sent there by a mother with love beyond her tears. Just a young American who chose to rise above his fears. And as I watched him struggle up that hill without a thought of turning back, I can't help but wonder, what did he die for when he died for you and me? He made the sacrifice so that we could all be free. I believe we will answer each to heaven for the way we spend a priceless liberty. Look inside and ask the question, what did he die for when he died for me? To the darkest day in A.D. 33 came the mercy and compassion of eternity sent there by the Father with love beyond his tears. The blameless one, the only son to bear the guilt of all these years. And as I watched him struggle up that hill without a thought of turning back, I can't help but wonder, what did he die for when he died for you and me? He made the sacrifice so we could all be free. I believe we will answer each to heaven for the way we spend a priceless liberty. Look inside and ask the question, what did he die for? He died for freedom. He died for love. And all the things we do to pay Him back will never be enough. That sums up the message God laid on my heart this morning. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of God? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you confessed and repented of your sin and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? You can do that this morning, right here and right now. If you are a citizen of heaven, does that reflect and influence and shape your citizenship to the United States of America? What are you doing to seek and build the kingdom of God? We can sit here all day long and talk about what's wrong and what needs to happen. But we're past that point. Let's quit talking about it. Let's do something about it. We know what they need. They need the Gospel. They need Christ. God's given us the message. He's commissioned us to go. 
We need to be like Isaiah. Here I am, send me, O God. I reminded that Jesus said that, Behold, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Father of the harvest that He will send more laborers into the field. He has called us to be out there. To be that light. To be the salt of the earth. To lead people to Him. The best thing you can do as a citizen of this country more than anything else share the gospel with your fellow citizens share the gospel with your neighbors your friends and your loved ones and only share it by word but let them see it in action let them see love in action is it easy no is it hard yes but the blessings you receive for it far outweigh anything this world can offer you. Continue to pray for this great nation. Continue to pray for our leaders. And continue to pray for the church. Not just specifically Forestburg Baptist, but the churches throughout this country. That we would rise up and stop being passive and apathetic with one voice and declare Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one, absolutely no one, can go to the Father except through Him. That's not my words. That's the word of Jesus Himself. The ball's in your court. Time for you to make a decision. What's it going to be? Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy and Your compassion. Father, I pray that You would remove any obstacle, knock down any wall, break any chain, that's keeping us back from you. May we not only be a people that are living by faith and known by love, but may we also be a people known for seeking your kingdom first. But Father, I pray that you give us each the courage the boldness and the wisdom to be your witness to a lost and dying world. Help us to share the love of Christ every day, every moment. That we may lead, lead them to you. Continue to move. We continue to speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.